Hey everyone, it's Pastor Micah, lead pastor here at High Praise Crestview. I want to say thank you for choosing to listen to today's podcast. I want to encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening from today and go connect with us on social media as well. My prayer is that as you listen to this message, you're encouraged, blessed, and transformed by the power of the Word of God. Now open your heart and get ready to receive what God wants to speak to you today. to share if you can sing that if you well if you can read the title of this message series without singing it you are a better person than me be can y'all do it it's me hi I heard you yeah y'all know that song uh-huh last week uh last week pastor Micah started this series and he started it all about um God basically loving God first right he's number one being a um he said being a fan or being a follower. Of course, we want to be a follower of Jesus. And this week, I am excited because I am sharing on relationships. I'm kind of doing a, I'm kind of focusing a little bit more on friendships. I know that when we start talking about relationships, a lot of people uh, tend to think that that only has to do with marriage. Listen, I want to show you today the way that Jesus exampled friendship and how it's important. I know we preach this all the time to y'all. Our high praise people, you know how important community is. So I don't want to touch on that too long. But what I do want to do, what I do want to do, is I want to touch on the first commandment. And then I want to show you what comes after that. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles out in the front if you need one. We're going to start Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start at, let's start at verse 34. And it says this, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment to the law, in the law of Moses? And this was Jesus' reply. You must love your God. You guys know this, right? With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is what? The first and greatest commandment. Now, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. I love this. It says this in uh, verse 39. A second is equally important. Everybody say equally. You get it? It's real important, okay? It's this. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So what are they? It's loving God and loving others, right? And I know that you guys have probably heard a whole bunch of messages on on loving people. But I feel like today that there is a mandate upon us to actually share what that looks biblically. How it actually looks. Because you think about, when I, when I read Matthew chapter 22, all the way leading up to that, they're trying to trap Jesus, right? They're questioning him. And I always think it's so funny that the smartest guys sometimes ask the dumbest questions. He's, this, he's supposed to be a lawyer and he's like, well, what's, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus is like, seriously? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. But something that I have realized is that, and I, I say this every time that I preach because I am a teacher. I'm not, y'all aren't going to hear me yell as much as Pastor Micah. I'm a teacher. And so for me, when I teach, I want to lay down this groundwork for you where you know that, listen, there are people who they know in their head like, yes, I'm supposed to love other people. I'm supposed to have good relationships with people. And then there are people who really know it, right? Because those are the ones who act on it, who actually walk out the word. But we have smart people and we have religious people who they like to, cho- to tell you how much of the word of God they know. And then you go out to eat with them and you find out how little of the commandments they put into practice. Do you know what I mean by that? You go out to eat with them and they're, mm-hmm. Anybody who's been a server before, you can probably attest. I actually had a friend tell me once, oh, nobody wants to work on Sundays because that's when the church people come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit my tea and let that sink in. What is happening here? 
we're saying, I love God so much. I went to church on a Sunday morning. I love him so much. But when I leave this place, I get to act totally different. Because if I went to church, that just discounts everything else, right? That's not the truth. You have to love your God. And listen to this. This is important to know. The way that you love others is actually the way that you love God. It said like this in the Bible, you cannot say you love him, but hate his people. You can't say that you love God, but you, you really don't like that person over there. And you know, this person really bothers me a lot. But what I have found is that not only are people just rude sometimes, but we have also become this so, it's an I-centered point of view. It's all about me, right? It's all about me. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to stay in covenant relationships with people because I don't actually know what that means. We have a generation that says, you know, if I disagree with you, we can just cut ties and I never have to speak to you again. That's not the right way to deal with things. But it's what has become so common. We haven't learned how to actually bear with each other. We haven't actually learned how to be in community with people who don't look or think or act like us. But the way that you treat those people, the way that you treat the ones that are different than you, the way that you treat the ones that you believe are repugnant or disgusting, that is the way that you are treating the Lord. That shows the revelation knowledge. What kind of revelation do you have of God? When you look at his people and you can just be rude and you can walk in bitterness and unforgiveness, what does that say about your relationship with the Father God? What does it say about the revelation knowledge that you have of who Jesus is and what he commanded us to do and how he lived while he was here on earth? But we believe so often that it's just easier to cut people off, right? And here's why. Because we say, well, I don't want to deal with uncomfortable feelings. Or I don't want to confront things. I don't want to deal with this. And what you do is you cut yourself off from relationships that the Lord has called you to be in. And you miss out on the community that is there for you. All because you would rather blame it on other people than take responsibility for the I. And that's why this, that's why this series is called, well, if it was up on the screen, I would remember. Because now it's, it's me, hi. I'm the problem, right? We're working on the I in relationships. So today, I'm, I'm, this is kind of my subtitle here is, I can, I won't, I will. That's kind of my subtitle for this. I can, can, not can't. I can, I won't, I will. And you're going to see what I mean by that in just a second. You know, some people say that the first The first miracle that Jesus did was turning water into wine, but I believe that the first miracle Jesus did was being in his 30s and having 12 friends. Because finding friends when you are an adult is hard. It's difficult, right? When you're, I love it. The Bible talks about having childlike faith. And I believe that part of that childlike faith is just having faith that other people are going to like you too. And we're just going to be friends, right? But then you get to be an adult and you experience all of this different life things. And then you let the enemy lie to you and and you go, oh, wait a second. Friends, it's hard to have friends. It's difficult. But we need these covenant relationships. Listen, love is messy. It's hard. And I don't just mean with a spouse, although that is messy, too. It can be messy. It can be difficult. But when we look at Jesus, what we see is that when he walked with these imperfect people, he still loved them. And and they loved him back for it, right? He somehow managed to have these 12 very close friends. And the Bible says he even had three that were even closer to him. And he walked with them through some pretty messy things. Listen, his friends were not perfect. And let me tell you, your friends will not be perfect. Your fellow church members will not be perfect. I will not be perfect. Pastor Micah, we are not perfect. We're not called to be 
perfect with each other. We're called to love one another. And we know that love does what? It covers a multitude of sins, right? Because when I love you, I don't look at you as this is what you've done, so this is who you are. I look at you as I love you so I can, I can forgive you for this and we can walk in restoration. Now, let me preface this really quick because some people tend to think that when we talk about things like this, let me get a drink of water, that when we talk about things like this that we're saying you have to stay in toxic relationships or you have to, you have to be best friends with everybody. That's not what we're saying, right? Because when you truly love somebody, if they are, if they are being um, toxic or they're walking in a way that's not right, listen, you're going to set boundaries because that's the way that you show them you love them. So I'm not saying staying in toxic relationships or anything like that, but what I am saying is let's look at what we are doing. What am I doing Am I exampling Jesus? And in what way am I working towards relationship or in what way am I pulling back from relationship? But the greatest roadblock to healthy relationships is you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's me. Mm-hmm. Some of y'all did not sound as happy to say that. It's, <laughs> well, the first step is accepting it, okay? <laughs> You are often the roadblock to a healthy relationship. Listen, you cannot have healthy relationships with others unless you are pursuing health for yourself. We know we start with our love for God, right? So we have to, we have to put into practice what Pastor Micah talked about last week. We have to fully seek out God. We have to follow him with everything that we do. And while we are doing it, the Bible says that you receive a new life. The old things are passed away. And so there is a newness that comes upon you. You should not act the way that you acted before you were saved, right? There should be a difference in you. There should be a difference in you. But if you say, I have, I have met Christians before, Christians who will say, well, I've always been like this. This is just who I am. You know what that sounds like to me? An excuse. This is just me. This is who I am. I've always been this way. I've, you know, I've always been really harsh. I've always been really sarcastic and hurtful. Pastor Mike is grinning so hard from the front row because I have been there. <laughs> you can say, I've, well, this is how I, I was raised. This is me. This is how I am. But if you say, this is just how I am, or I will always be this way, then what you're really saying is this. I have no self-control. You're saying, I don't want to experience the fullness of God. You're saying, I don't actually believe that I can be different through the power of the Holy Spirit that teaches me to say no. So while we're here examining the I, we need to be asking, what can I do? What can I do to have healthy relationships? What can I do to keep a healthy us. I actually, I went to a training. One of my coworkers is here today, and I thought this training was just so cool, and it was all about relationships, and something that he had us write down was this, and it's kind of stuck with me. It's, it takes two to make an us, but only one to kill it. It's good, right? It takes two to make an us, but only one to kill it. Could you imagine if you decided, you know what? I can't control what other people can do, but I can change the way that I do things. I can change the way that I react. I can change the way that I respond. And so from there, even if things go badly, even if they don't treat you the right, right way, you at least get to stand there with dignity, knowing that you are not the one that ruined it because you did everything that you could. So that's how we know that we can change our relationships. Everybody say, I can change it. So now that I hope you feel empowered and maybe your toes have been stepped on a little and you know that you can change relationships, we get into this, but how? How do I change these relationships? How do I have better relationships? So I want to give you these, these little steps and, and they're broken up like this. I won't and I will. So we know that we can 
We can change relationships. We can affect them. And now we're going to talk about what we won't do and what we will do instead. Because what you can't do is say, um, well, I'm just going to live this way and just hope everything works out. You're going to actually have to put biblical principles into order. You're going to actually have to put them into your life and actually do them. I know that's very hard because we say a lot that we know the word, but do you live the word? You say that you've had a relationship with Jesus, but the way you treat people is saying something completely different. So number one is this. This is the steps that you can take or steps that I can take to have healthy relationships. Number one is this. You can write this down. I won't withdraw. I will pursue. I'm going to say that again. I won't withdraw. I will pursue. You cannot have healthy relationships unless you believe relationships are actually important. Like I said earlier, you hear us talk about it all the time. That you were created for community. You need friends. You need people. You need a team around you. You need a church family around you. And we talk about... It's so much because we know how important it is. We've seen what's happened when people pull away from community, when they pull away from other people, especially like-minded Christians. When we see them pull away, it's normally a very slippery slope from there. You know, Jesus was the perfect son of God. He communed with the Father, and guess what? He still chose to pursue earthly relationships. You think about it, the most perfect person still needed friends. He still needed people to do life with. So why do we think that we're better than him? Why do we think, some of us think, we go, well, I don't really need other people. I don't really need, I don't need friends. I can just, I can deal with this on our own. Let me tell you, that could be a nail in the coffin when you say, I don't need people. Because listen, you're not better than the Son of God. You do need people. And I get it, okay? People have hurt you. I talked about relationships are messy and hard. But I've heard it said like this. If you don't heal from what's hurt you, you will bleed on people that didn't cut you. Some of us are walking around and we are bleeding on everybody because we never dealt with the issue. And we're going, I can't have friends. I, you know, I don't really want to go to church and get to know people because my last church hurt me or this person treated me that way. And when you do that, you are allowing your past issues to shape right now. Don't let the past things cause you to pull away from people. You know, there's this, this cycle of rejection that people sometimes go through when they deal with things. And they go, I'm going to reject you before you reject me. Or you go, I'm going to go ahead and believe that everyone is going to reject me. Therefore, I'm going to act in a way that's going to cause people to reject me. And then when they reject me, I'm going to be upset that they rejected me. Has anyone ever been in that situation before? I've been there before where you walk into a room and you automatically go, I'm just going to sit in the corner because, well, I take that back. I don't really know how to do that. I'm not a corner sitter. Pastor Mike is the corner sitter. I'm sitting dead center. But I have been there before where I've been like, they're not going to like me. I don't even know if I should not even try. Why should I even put forth any effort into getting to know anyone? Because they're just going to hurt me. But let me tell you, that is a lie of the enemy. If the enemy can convince you that you're better off alone and you start to believe that and you start to pull away and withdraw from other people, all of a sudden the lies of the enemy start sounding like truth because you don't have anybody to bounce those things off of anymore. I can't tell you how many times I have been thankful that I have been having a moment where maybe I'm like, oh, I've, I just feel like this. And, all this, and Pastor Micah, he'll look at me, Micah, my husband, he'll go, He'll go, that does not sound right. I don't think that that's right. I don't think that that's really the way they think about you. But me, I'm like, but I want to cry about it. I want to be upset. I want to hold this thing so that way I can use it as a shield against people. Right? Don't get close to me. And it's so sad because we see people in church so 
often where they go, you know what? I'm just going to withdraw. I'm going through something. I'm going through something. So instead of reaching out to people who can speak the word of God to me, instead of reaching out to the people who are going to pray for me, instead, you know, I'm just going to retreat and I'm going to step away. Now, listen, it's one thing if you are taking a little break so you can hear the voice of God, but I can tell you a lot of people are not um, withdrawing to do that. They are withdrawing to lick their wounds and be sad, okay? They are withdrawing so that they can sit in their room and listen to sad music and look up sad quotes on Pinterest to post on their Instagram with no context, just to leave you wondering, what's going on with them? Y'all are laughing because you know what I'm talking about, right? You're, you're like, what? what does that quote even mean? The stars are dying and so is my heart. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we do that instead. And guess what? Does it ever make you feel better? No. You are just continuously. You're, what you're doing is you're literally meditating on the lies of the enemy. You are letting your emotions that are caused by the lies to then take over. And you can't make good decisions. You can't make godly decisions if you're letting your emotions rule you. So you're, so you're going, you know, I will, I'm just going to push everybody away and I'm going to deal with it on my own. And let me tell you, I know that you might believe it, but it's not the truth. You cannot deal with it on your own. You may have withdrawn. If, if there's somebody in this room and you may have say, well, I've withdrawn for a season. I've, I've kind of backed away because I was scared. I was worried. I, I didn't want to be vulnerable or I, I just, I didn't want to put myself out there. Listen, you can start this. This is a safe place. We have desired to cultivate a place where people feel comfortable being who they are. Are we going to leave you where you are? No. We're going to call you to a new level, but that doesn't mean that you have to feel ashamed that you're dealing with something. It's okay to deal with things. Just don't deal with it on your own. We want to deal with it with you. We want to help you. When the enemy is ganging up on you, you better believe we are going to gang up on the enemy on your behalf. You don't need sad songs. You need prayer. You don't need those people who just, who just say, well, this is probably just how you're going to be. You're, you're probably just depressed and you're always going to be that way. Here's some pills to, to get rid of it. You need those people who are going to say, you know, you're going through this right now, but there's a light on the other side of the tunnel. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you. Let me be there for you. And guess what? On the other side of this, I won't, I won't withdraw. Listen, you have to start pursuing. You actually have to pursue godly relationships. I know that you want to just sit there and everybody to come to you. But even Jesus, you know, we're looking at the life of Jesus and his friendships. Even Jesus went out to find friends. He went out to find his disciples. He did not sit and wait for somebody to pass by. He didn't wait for them to invite him out to eat. Y'all know what I mean? Whenever, whenever people ask me, um, or they don't ask me, they'll say to me, like, I don't have any friends. Or, like, I have nobody to hang out with. I'm just so lonely all the time. Um, I'm not really the best person to say that to. Because, here's the thing, this is always my answer to you, okay? Um, so, when was the last time you invited someone to hang out? When was the last time that you went to a church event that wasn't Sunday morning. You know, when was the last time you came to church early and then maybe stayed a little later to actually talk to people? When was the last time that you started to try to pursue friendship rather than just waiting on it to happen? Because remember, we're talking about the I. It's, it's the I we're working on. So you have to say, I am going to start being a friend before I even have them. I'm not going to wait for others to come find me, I am actually going to have to go. I am going to have to pursue. And here's, here's a little bonus, because I'm talking about friendship, but let's switch to relationships real quick. Ladies, if you are, or men, I, I know a lot of ladies who are like this, y'all are just sitting in church waiting for your dream man to show up. Like he's going to come in those doors and he's going to sit down beside you. Some of y'all may have experienced, that's wonderful for you, 
But guess what? You might actually have to put some effort into it, okay? You can't sit at home every day of the week and come to church for two hours and go, why is my dream man not in my life yet? You might actually have to go somewhere or do something. Download an app, okay? I'm not judging. Do what you gotta do, girlfriend. Now listen, I'm gonna, I gotta clarify here because I can already, your wheels are turning, okay? I did not say go to the clubs and the bars and just find a random man and settle, okay? I am not saying that, so y'all don't just be like going and saying, Pastor Chelsea told me to go find a random man. I did not say that, okay? In the words of my friend Elsa, you cannot marry a man you just met, okay? Don't do it. But I am saying that you're going to have to put forth some effort. So number one was, I won't withdraw, I will pursue. And the next one is this, number two, I won't believe the worst about others. I won't believe the worst about others, I will believe the best. I won't believe the worst about others, I will believe the best. Proverbs 18, 17 says this, any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. Sometimes you need to set yourself straight. And you need to remember that the perspective that you have is not the only perspective that there is. There is more to things than what you can see. But a lot of times, because we are so used to, you know, then, well, this is my perspective, so it must be right. You know, if I believe that they meant to say it that way, they did. If I believe that they meant to leave me out, then they definitely did, right? That's, that's what we tell ourselves when we don't have perspective. Another thing in that training that we went to um, for work was, it was so cool. And he held out his hand and he said, he was like, this is, we all know this is a hand, right? We, can you see the hand? We all know the reality is I have a hand here. However, what you see, what do you see on this side of my hand? Y'all see my palm, right? Do I see my palm? No, but I do see a hand. So we both agree, right? There's a hand there. But what I see is nails that really need a fill. And... (laughs) What you are seeing is, is my palm. You're seeing all those different things, right? Does that mean that what I am seeing is untrue? Does that mean what you are saying is untrue? It just means what? We're not seeing the same thing, right? But how in the world am I going to know what you see? What am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to ask. I'm going to have to ask. I'm going to have to go, hey, did you, did you mean to say it that way? Hey, did you, did you mean to leave me out? And I have found so many times that when you just believe the best about people and in people, you will, you will save yourself so much heartache when you realize that there is more to the story than maybe what you've seen. I have been there before where somebody left me out and I was like, oh, I can't believe they didn't invite me. They must hate me. You know, when you go down that spiral of like, everyone hates me, no one, yeah, nobody loves me. I'm worthless. Oh my gosh. They probably think I'm annoying. They probably think they just don't want to be around me. I don't fit in. Right. And then I actually asked them and they're like, oh no, I put you in the text message and it came back and I forgot to resend it. And I'm like, Okay. This whole time I was spiraling, right? I was spiraling because what? I didn't have the perspective and I also didn't believe the best about others. How many times have you been in a relationship with someone? And I'm talking about friendship or even a marriage relationship. And you thought, well, this must be what they meant. (laughs) Well, they said that. So this is what I think that they meant, right? They said it's beautiful outside. And I think that they meant that it's because the house is ugly inside, (laughs) Your mind will do some crazy things if you don't bring it into alignment, okay? You will say, well, they, they didn't say hi to me when they passed me in church. They probably hate me. And on the other side of that, what you don't see is that they were dealing with a really hard morning with their kids. And they were just trying to get their butts into church, okay? <laughs> or maybe they were not feeling good, and you may not have known that. And here you are, you're internalizing things that aren't even about you because you're not believing the best in people. Another really good verse from Proverbs, this is 11, 27 through 9, 
through 29 says this, those who seek good find the goodwill of others, but those who look for evil are sure to find it. Do you know what that means? What you seek out is what you're going to get. What you believe about people, it's gonna be what you get. What you be- Even if it's not true, if you already believe the lie of the enemy that says you're not good enough, you're not cool enough, you don't fit in, you're not rich enough, they don't like you, listen, then what's gonna happen is the second that somebody doesn't invite you out to dinner one time you're gonna go well I should just cut them off I don't need relationships with people who don't even like me instead of seeking out reconciliation or even just seeking out perspective it's not always a fight it's not always a fight it's worth it to just say you know what they probably didn't mean it that way if you always find yourself believing the worst in people I want you to remember that you wouldn't want others to believe the worst about you. But so often, you know, there's that commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But so often we want other people to give us, to excuse us, but we will not excuse them. We want them to understand what we are going through, but we don't want to even hear what they're going through because then it might actually shift the situation and you'll no longer be a victim but some of us like being victims right because you have something to complain about you get to feel depressed you get to feel upset right and you and some of us like that feeling but let me tell you it's so much of a better feeling when you have people who can surround you and be there for you it's such a better feeling when you are walking around believing that people love you because Jesus loves you instead of believing that people hate you because that's what the enemy told you it's so much better that way So start believing the best in others. You know, even Jesus had to deal with this. I also find it's very interesting. He's out in the wilderness on his own, right? And that's when the enemy comes. And he starts to to actually question Jesus's identity. If you know this story, Jesus is in the wilderness. and, And the devil's like, well, if you're the son of God, can't you do this? Can't you do that? And what he's really doing is questioning who Jesus is. You have to be very confident in who you are. You're going to have to actually read the word and put it so deep in your heart that whenever the enemy tries to lie or whenever situations happening, you're not automatically believing the worst, you're believing the best. That you're not that you're able to say, "You know what? It is written." I am redeemed, I am loved, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And I know y'all, y'all are like, well, this is so simple. But have you really searched yourself? Have you really thought about, have I been doing this? Because sometimes we are so busy living life that we're not able to be um, introspective of things. But listen, if, if the enemy will question Jesus's identity, he's going to question yours. And he's going to, there are going to be situations where it's going to make you feel like, who am I? Who am I? Am I loved? But whenever you choose to believe the best in others, you will see the best in others. And that's the way we're called to see people. It's to see people how Jesus sees them. He is not looking at your friend who messed up going, they are a dirty dog sinner. There's nothing good for there's nothing good in their life. I'm no. That's not what he sees. He sees his blood that has covered the multitude of sins. He sees. He sees that yeah, people make mistakes. People have issues, but it's worth it to believe the best. And then listen, if they continue to actually show you the worst, then that's when we do I've preached a whole message on this before. Biblical conflict resolution and if you have and if you haven't listened to that message it's on facebook somewhere it's a good one i actually really like that message i preached it okay number three we're gonna move on (laughs) number three i will stop judging and i will instead have empathy Ooh. this is a tough one because a lot of us we like to be like judge not but then we be judging everybody Mm -hmm. we're judging everybody I want to show you a little example 
of what I'm talking about, this empathy thing. Um, in John 11, there is, I won't make you turn there, but I'll kind of summarize the story for you. There is a man named Lazarus, and he's sick, and his um, sister sends word to Jesus, and I always find this part really funny, because they're like, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then he says, uh, this sickness will not end in death. Notice for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then it said, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. <laughs> that cracks me up because, you know, like if somebody was calling us and they said, like, the one, somebody close to us was sick, we're going to be there right then. Jesus is like, no, I know. I know what's going on here. I don't need to. Cracks me up. No, we would be like rushing. And Jesus like, give it a few days, right? So when we skip to verse uh, 33 of that story, it says, he, so he meets Mary, and it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And this is my favorite verse in the Bible. Verse 35, Jesus wept. That's it. That's the only part of the verse. 35, Jesus wept. Then 36, then the Jews said, See how he loved him. He's saying, this man that he loves, it's very clear that he feels towards Mary and towards Lazarus something. He has a relationship with them, right? And Mary is coming to him with what she feels like is a really big deal, right? And to any of us looking, we'd be like, yeah, that's a pretty big deal, right? Her, her brother is dying. That's kind of a, a big thing. And then Jesus, Jesus is like, I'll get there when I get there. But when he does get there, it says he is moved with compassion. Why, and I, I often think about this story, and I'm like, why would he be moved with compassion when he already knows what's going to happen, right? As soon as Jesus heard, he knew that it wasn't a big deal because he knew that Lazarus was going to come back to life. He knew, right? Have you ever been talking to a friend before, and they're telling you something, and to them it's like a really big deal, and to you you're going, just give it like a day. You'll be over it right? Just give it a day. But this is how Jesus responds. He, he doesn't go, Mary, stop crying. Get over it. It's no big deal, right? No, it actually says he takes a moment. He's moved with compassion, and he actually cries with them. He actually cries with them. And we know the outcome of that story, right? that Lazarus is raised from the dead. So we see, we have this, we've got the whole perspective, right? We can see Mary is upset and we can see that Lazarus is dead, but Jesus already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. But did Mary know that? No. So whenever you're having a conversation with a friend or possibly, here's where I really struggle. I'm going to be honest with you. I really struggle with this with my children because I have a nine-year-old who believes that everything is a super big deal and everything is the end of the world, right? And I'm sure you guys have friends who are not nine years old, but sometimes act like it. And so they're, they're going to come to you and they're going to say, this is such a big deal. This is this thing that I am going through. And you're going to look at it because you, you can see from the outside in. You're going to look at it and you're going to go, but this isn't a big deal. So can you just stop crying? Or you're going to say, why are you still upset about this? Have you ever been told that before? Like, stop crying. Or why are you upset at this? Micah's like, it's okay, babe. <laughs> they raised their hand. You just couldn't see them. You didn't have the perspective. <laughs> I have been there before. And listen, does that ever make you feel better? No. It makes you feel like, you're, like you don't matter. Your feelings don't matter. Jesus, in this, in this story, he is modeling empathy for us. And I, I know if you're an old school parent, right, you're, you may struggle with this. Right? Because you're like, get over it. You're going to be okay, right? And I, I get that. There is a balance there, okay? Um, Romans twelve fifteen says this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Listen, you can't weep with others if you don't believe they deserve to weep anyways. If you are, if you believe that you're allowed to judge them for what they're upset about, then you're saying it's not important 
and then you're not fulfilling Romans 12, 15. You're not weeping with them. You're not, and if you don't weep with them, I don't believe that you have a right to rejoice with them either. If you can't be a friend to somebody in their lowest point, then why would they want to be your friend when they're at their highest? When they're at the pinnacle and you weren't there with them at the valley, why would they want to be there with you? Now listen, y'all know I love to bring balance to this. This is the balance here. You can have empathy and you can also speak the truth. Okay, this is not only, yes, you always have to cry and be upset with people. That's, that's not just what it's saying. Romans 12, 15 does not insist on being as sad as the saddest person in our lives all, all the time, okay? But it's about being considerate to others who feel differently or are going through different experiences than we have. You need to have empathy for people because you would expect others to have empathy with you. And here's why. Because when someone feels safe, they will be more open with you. And when people are more open with you, you then have the capability of telling them the truth. If you're automatically cutting somebody off from having any feelings or sharing things with you, listen, do you think that they're going to receive of your ministry? They're not going to receive from you. That's why the Bible talks about that it's the harsh words of a friend, right? Because friends are allowed to do that. Friends, are, friends should. Listen, if you have been struggling with telling a friend the truth, then you need to question whether or not that's a friend. Because if you have a relationship, you should be able to tell each other, hey, I know you're sad. That's really upsetting. But this is the truth of God's word. Because after Jesus wept, he then raised somebody from the dead. So after you let them have their moment and they've poured that on on you, then you go, all right, you want the truth now? Because once you have weeped with them, then you can rejoice with them. When someone feels safe, they're going to open up to you. You know, we, this is where I've, I've been at a lot with my kids. Is we shut our kids down constantly and then we wonder why they won't tell us what's going on with them. We constantly are like, oh. I go, you're nine years old, okay? Your, your video game getting shut down in the middle of it is not that big of a deal, right? And it's not. It's not that big of a deal, but to him, it's the end of the world. But if even in those little things, let, let, me, let me tell you something. I, I haven't been parenting for a whole lot of time, but I've been parenting just long enough to know that when my kids were toddlers and I listened to them, that fostered them being able to tell me things even now that they're growing a little older. And I pray that as I continue to do this and as Pastor Micah continues to do this and we have this open relationship with our kids where we can talk, that they will continue to be open with us. Not because we're going to just let them do whatever they want, but because that relationship is what's going to open the door to truth. That relationship, listen, if your kids aren't asking you for your opinion, it's probably because you've never valued theirs. And that goes the same with friends. If you are always the one giving out advice and you're always the one telling somebody what to do, they're probably not going to want to listen to you anymore because they're tired of it and you never listen to them. But we know what, what you can work on, what I can work on, is to be more empathetic. We're coming to a close. Number four is this, and this is a big one. I will stop holding grudges, and I will instead walk in forgiveness. That's a tough one. Unforgiveness will always cause a relationship to fail. If you can't forgive the past, there will not be a future. You know, we know in relationships there's going to be issues, right? There is no perfect relationship. You're probably going to say something to someone one day that hurts them, or they're going to say something to you that hurts you. Maybe they're going to make a wrong decision that adversely affects you. Okay, I, I get that's going to happen. But ultimately, forgiveness is our job, not theirs. If you always walk around waiting for an apology then you're not truly going to be able to walk in forgiveness because forgiveness isn't about them apologizing. Forgiveness is about you releasing them from any judgment that you've held on to. And from there, guess what? When you've released people, when you've forgiven people truly, then you can have deeper connections and relationships with 
even new people. But if you're constantly thinking about the past, you won't have a future with anyone. If you, you know, some, some of you, you may have dealt with maybe infidelity or um, trust issues, anything like that in a relationship, and then you get into a new relationship and you realize this person has never done me wrong, but here I am treating them like they're the one that hurt me. And does that lead to a healthy relationship? Absolutely not. It does not lead to a healthy relationship. In order to have a healthy relationship, you're going to have to stop holding every mistake someone makes over them or every mistake somebody else made over them. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Have they sinned? Yes. Is, are we asking you to forget that that ever happened? No, because maybe you need parameters and boundaries in place, right? But at the same time, if you want to know, have I actually forgiven that person? You'll know it by this. You'll be able to have empathy for the offender. You'll no longer wish them harm. Or here's a fun one. You won't bring it up in every argument you get into with them. If every time, and I say this about, uh, this is, really affects spouses, I think, a lot more than just friendships, but when you've, when you've had an issue before and something happens and then every single fight from there until you're 80 years old, you keep bringing up, do you, do you remember, well, that one time you said that one thing and you did that, you did that one thing, right? And does that ever move the relationship forward? It doesn't, but we want to hold it because we haven't done the work in ourselves. But listen, if you can't forgive others, then God cannot forgive you. And if God can look at us in all of our issues, I know that I have hurt God way more than anybody in my life has hurt me. I know that I have sinned. I know that I have fallen short, and yet somehow he still loves me and forgives me. But here I am, I believe sometimes that I don't actually have to forgive them. If I just pretend like they don't exist, then that's forgiveness. But that's not forgiveness. Now, I believe that one of the reasons why we don't want to forgive people is because we don't actually understand what forgiveness is. So I'm going to tell you what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness does not condone what the other person did. Forgiveness is not allowing injustice to continue, right? Forgiveness doesn't restore trust. There's still going to have to be trust that's restored there. Things are going to have to be built back. But at the same time, what does forgiveness do? What does it do in relationships? What does it do in friendships? It does this. It sets your heart free from anger, resentment, and bitterness that, negative, that negatively affects you and others. And it allows you to grow in mercy and grace. Forgiveness is the key to healthy relationships you are going to have to stop believing that everyone owes you something. And you're going to have to start living a self-sacrificial life where you say, it's worth it to release these things. It's worth it because I want to live in a life filled with community and relationship. And because I want that, I'm going to have to start doing the hard work in myself. I know right now, Miss Donna, you can come, come on up and play. I'm closing right now. But I, so many people right now, and I want to preface this because I made this joke on Facebook and people still didn't get the joke. But I'm going to preface this with, y'all know how that goes, the, the joke and then over their heads. I want to preface this with, I think that what's going on, the revivals that are happening are wonderful and awesome. I believe that God is doing something, and I believe that he can do it anywhere, right? But at the same time, I want to remind you that the mark of revival is not what emotion you can stir up in a moment. It's about what changes on the outside. Because when you're changed on the inside, you don't just have um, this magical, wonderful experience with the Lord and then leave and be rude to your waitress at Applebee's. I would venture to say that that's not true revival. And some of us, we have had these experiences with the Lord, but then we leave the same because we are not willing to do what God has told us to do. But when you do these things, when you stop holding grudges, when you stop believing the worst, when you stop 
backing away and withdrawing, that's where you'll find that there are relationships that have been waiting on you. And you will find such a fullness, a a joy that you've never felt before. And from there, listen, revival can break out anywhere. The Bible says where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am. I believe that the Lord is here right now. And I believe that that revival looks like this. When you leave this place, you apologize to somebody. Y'all didn't want to hear that. Revival can look like apologizing. It can look like forgiving somebody that you didn't think deserved it. It can look like finding and talking to somebody new. Because revival in itself is reawakening something that was dead. And you may have been hurt and upset. You may have withdrawn. But there is something that is going to come alive in you when you find that community. And when you start pursuing friendships. You can go ahead and stand on up to your feet. Just go ahead and lift your hands right now. Father God, I just thank you for what you've done this morning, Lord. I thank you that even as these words have gone forth, that you are even faithful to illuminate the things that are, that are within ourselves, those things that we have allowed to even fester any unforgiveness or bitterness, anything within us that would say that we don't need others. Lord, I just thank you right now that you're even healing the innermost parts of ourselves so that we can walk in communion and community with others, Lord. I thank you that as we seek out your word, as we seek you out, Lord, that you're faithful to meet us right where we're at. And that you even pour out your blessing. You pour out your spirit upon us. So I just thank you for it right now, God. All unforgiveness must leave. All bitterness is destroyed. We pull up the bitter root right now. I thank you, Lord. Forgiveness is even flowing in this place, God. There's some, there's a few people in here, I can even feel it, that you have been struggling with feeling bitter towards somebody. It's like I can even see where you're just in the same room as them and it makes you upset. The Lord says release it even now. Release it right now. Even right now, there's freedom flowing forth, God. Lord, we say forgive us for the things that we have done wrong, for the places where we've missed it, for the the ways that we haven't loved your church the way that you've called us to love it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Lord, I thank you for every person in this room, Lord, that as they leave this place, they won't leave the same. But even this morning, you have called them to a greater level, a greater level of community, a greater level of friendship, and a greater level of seeking you out, God. And Lord, as they seek you out, I thank you that they are blessed, that they would be fruitful, God, that they would be able to step out and minister to those who are hurting, that they would even be called to a new, deeper level of anointing with you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.